Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Rampage, baby, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review the go home episode ahead of Double or Nothing of AEW Dynamite. How was it for you, Sidge? It was a good show with good things on it. One great thing on it. I don't know if it's just my personal mood. I don't know what it is, but I just didn't stop watching and feel a an enormous amount of buzz and enjoyment and anticipation ahead of the pay-per-view, or B, I didn't realistically have that much to say about it. There was stuff I enjoyed, but like not in a way I was like, I really like that detail, or that was such a great move, or that was such an electrifying match that I just clicked that I loved. I just didn't feel a great deal for it, and I know that can sometimes be annoying because we're meant to articulate what was good or bad or whatever about this, but that ultimately is a problem for me. Look, I don't know if it's just my malaise or a totally subjective thing, but before I pass on, I noticed something the other day, right, where I tried to tweet, this is, I think, what's wrong with AEW and mm. my subjective enjoyment or lack thereof at the moment with this product, right? And I did it. I tweeted it. And usually, when you say something to the effect of, oh, 8.5 out of 10 dynamite, but this segment was awful and, you know, there was a lull at this bit, we'll go... Dickhead, it was a 10. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, 50 followers. Goodbye, like, 50 followers. <laughs> why, wasn't, why didn't you think it was a 10 out of 10? Do you remember when we Dickhead. got absolutely bodied that few weeks yeah. where we were like, hey, we've yeah. got a bit off the rails here. One thing I've noticed is that when I tweeted that, I didn't mind the deluge. I'd just rather stick to my guns, express yeah. an honest opinion, and just have it out there. It's, Pure it, heart rule, I think it's, it's called. It's one of those, yeah. It's one of those where it's like, I don't expect the... WWE fans who have completely at this point just driven away to go, you know what? Maybe I was wrong about that situation. <laughs> Maybe he's a fair and partial critic. Now we'll hold him in the esteem of the highest wrestling media types. I don't think this is going to happen. I would just rather be principled about the whole yeah. thing. I was expecting a deluge of dickhead, it's the best thing ever. Maybe I need to take some time off or something like that. Loads of people agree. Like, just absolutely loads of yeah. people. So I don't necessarily think it's just as objective. 
Malaise feels like a good word to describe how I feel about it right now. Yeah, it is a malaise, right? And I'm writing an article which should be on what culture at some point in the next day or two. So please look out for it. Um, It's about the size of the roster. And I'm watching every single segment of an AW Dynamite show. And I'm thinking you can either build a promotion around one person in the segment Mm. or one person in the segment doesn't feel as hot or as big or as huge as they once did even six months ago because there are too many people in each segment who I feel this way about. They've streaming serviced the water cooler TV show. Sounds like a great article that. They should, should get someone really good to present that as a video. That's what I think. Yeah, me too. I mean, I just like watching that happen there. Game the system. I thought this was mostly bad. But, like, apparently the expectation now when talking about AW is that we've got to be the BBC again. So should I just say it was mostly good as well? <laughs> and then people can take my subjective opinions. As well. Come on, guys, what are you doing? What's the purpose? Well, so apparently what we've got to do for this podcast is let Wilborn recap what happened in the matches, say who won and who lost, and then me and Cedric will chip in to be like, yes, that wrestler won. Yes, that wrestler lost. <laughs> and that's our job, apparently, as reviewers. Like, the idea that, like, for a while... And to be impartial, Jobber Nation TV's going to join us. Yeah, in no. I, I, Like, I, la- I laboured over. When NXT was, like, dying in front of my eyes, look what they've done to my body. I'm not talking about 2.0, that saved the whole thing. When it was dying from sort of early 2020 onwards, I went back to the well a lot of feel, not think, right? I wanted to feel for this product what I no longer did. Uh, instead of just thinking, oh, these three-and-a-half-star matches are, are, are good wrestling matches. Who cares about that, right? And then now you're getting bollocks for feeling instead of thinking, oh, what does it matter what you feel this for? Well, with respect. Like, <laughs> what do you want? Do you want us to just say, well, I think what happened in that match is what happened. Like, that's, not, <laughs> yeah. that's not reviewing. That's not, like, in to Cedric's point about, like, being able to articulate my thoughts, I ha- like, th- I watched last night's episode, and the first thoughts that sprung to mind after it was finished were, I don't think that was a super effective, here I am thinking and not feeling, I don't think that was a super effective go-home show. I don't think everything bar one really great angle was particularly well serviced. I don't think most of these pairings are, like, the right pairings, or the, the pairings that feel the hottest they could be, if you look up and down the double or nothing card, and I don't think Dynamite has done much to address that. I don't think the Owen tournament's been a success. And on and on and on it goes of things that I don't think have been as effective as, as they have been. So if I just say that instead of, I don't feel like much of this is any good. Is that, is that better? No is that idea. like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is an, yet another, like, and I appreciate for some people this is like laborious, but is this like a laborious debate on how it is that you criticise a product that up to this point has felt like it's so in service of its fan base that at any point at which people feel malaise, as you put it, for the first time, is that just too much for people to want to take or want to accept? There's a core of people that probably still love this for, mm-hmm. ev- for everything it is without considering what it could be. Like, I, so the noise in the opening segment was not replicated throughout. No. was my feeling throughout watching the show. Somebody has the right to disagree with that very subjective take, this subjective take that we are giving on a review and some critical analysis of a in wrestling show. But like... The noise and the heat and the feeling and the vibe of the opening segment was not replicated throughout. And typically, AEW would work to about a 90-10 ratio of things that had that. And I, I, I joked about it a couple of years back. It reminded me of, of living like in a, a shared house with people and there always being that one housemate that nobody liked as much. And it was like, well, that's good because my smaller feelings are nothing compared to the magnified ones of this poor bullied person. <laughs> AEW was kind of booked like that. There's always that one story. Like, if it wasn't just for this, everything would be perfect. The double or nothing card is like, 
thank God for this and in terms of MJF Wardlow rather than everything else. Yeah. Like the it was Cody for a while, wasn't it? Like AEW is amazing. Cody versus is kind of weird. But otherwise, AEW was great. And then it was like Sammy a little bit, or it was the Dark Order in 2019 or whatever. I wouldn't say they've gone 90 10 in the opposite direction, but the good is strictly good. Mm. It doesn't feel great. And I'd say that without apologies to those that are still loving these episodes of Dynamite because fantastic. Yeah. Love these episodes of Dynamite. Feel as I wish I did for the pay per view on Sunday. That's the other thing as well. It's a pay per view week. AW pay per view week feeling used to be amazing. AW pay per view week used to make me feel like when I was at school in the Attitude Era. So, like, WWE are making this very, very adolescent wrestling for a very, very adolescent me. And I'm an absolute, I'm a, an absolute fever pitch for virtually everything in my life because I'm 13 years old. <laughs> and then they're booking sex and violence and all this sort of stuff on a Sunday. AW had captured that for millennials. And I don't think they've done it this time mm. around. You know, and I, I also don't want to be made a hypocrite if I like the show on Sunday. It's still doing good stuff. I just, I think they're capable of better. I think they're capable of much better. You There's lots on this Dynamite that spoke to what I think is a distinct lack of focus this last few months. You said this often in the NXT days, didn't you, about takeovers? Uh, the parallels are becoming eerie at this point. There's nothing that's emotionally drawing me into these stories, yet the match quality is absolutely in no doubt whatsoever, mm. except, and this is a nice little segue for the people who might have alienated at this point, I think there's a match on this card where people are going to go, yeah, the build wasn't great, but the match is going to be great, and I'm genuinely actually worried about that. So it's actually going to get even more critical. So <laughs> look forward to that imminently. And we've got another podcast, Look Ahead to Double or Nothing, yeah. later on today as well. It's going to be fun. Do you know what the thing the real litmus test is? Mm. When was the last time you ate cereal and stayed up and watched AW Dynamite? Oh, yeah, ages ago. I have to think about it. That, yeah, ages ago. There was a, I couldn't miss a week at one point, because I was just so, like, they'd, big graphics drops at 6 p.m. our time, and it's like... Well, it's only seven hours to dynamite now. I might as well. Yeah. <laughs> I made that conscious was choice. It, was it Punk Dax or something like that? Or something you... That feels right, yeah. Because uh, I can't remember if I bothered with the Dax and Cash. I don't think I did. Mm. Cards haven't been overall strong enough. But yeah, um, there's a personification of the up and down nature of this show was was in the opening segment. And the only down is that oh, Piggy's going to the pay-per-view. I'm joking, of course. I'm just doing the gimmick. Wardlow, <laughs> let's talk against Sean Spears in a steel cage match with uh, Sean Michael. Sorry, uh, MJF as the special guest referee of Shorts, man. Wish I'd got... There's AEW in a nutshell. I wish I'd called the booty shorts that Sean used to wear to ride up the locker room, and I didn't, because this company and the performers within it can still do better than the podcasters. And now, did we not get the Burberry strikes? Yeah, like, uh, this. how often did we do that? Here's our three predictions that are definitely going to happen. We've got three better ones. Yeah. Like that, that should be yes. the bar that every segment aims for. Yeah, surprise, surprise. This was uh, just great stuff. So MJF comes out, uh, as I mentioned, in the, in the booty shorts and the Burberry uh, referee outfit. Uh, Wardlow's cuffed and he's flanked by security. No music, none of that. Um, Sean Spears uh, has his entrance as well and he's waiting there in the ring and he's brought a chair with him just in case. Um, but unfortunately, ugh, before the match, MJF lost the key for uh, Wardlow's cuffs. So Spears just immediately jumps in and attacks him and he's got his hands cuffed uh, throughout the time. Uh, and MJF decides, I'm going to stick a view on him as well. Uh, they drive Wardlow into the cage. Um, Wardlow does make a comeback. Um, whilst he's handcuffed, which did look great, and uh, MJF's like, just go on, just 
chin me just once. He's desperate, a bit like he was with Cody. Um, just, you know, lay one finger on me so I do not have to face you on Sunday uh, at the pay-per-view. Um, he spits in his face, and then uh, Wardlow doesn't hulk up. He abysses up uh, in a, <laughs> a, a segment that me and Hamlet were talking about recently. Bursts out of the handcuffs, uh, beats up Spears, swantons onto him, covers him. MJF goes down. I was going to say one, but he doesn't even do one. He just pops his head on his chin and just looks at him like he's in some, you know, photo shoot for a calendar or something. Uh, so Wardlow's just furious. He uh, sets up for the Powerbomb Symphony on Spears, but MJF kicks him in the bollocks. Spears hits the C4. One, two. Oh, it's still not quick enough. Wardlow kicks out despite MJF's fast count. So fast. Yeah, it was so fast. <laughs> Great. And there was also a split second when Sean Spears left the cage where I thought they were doing a gimmick where Spears was back in his old WWE days and was like, is that not a win? Because I've left the cage. <laughs> but he's actually getting out there to get the chair. He uh, gets in there. We can all see what's about to happen. MGF's holding Wardlow up to him to be clonked on the head. But at the last second, Wardlow moves and Sean Spears clobbers MJF with the chair. He goes down. Spears, who, if you haven't watched The Road 2... His promo in that is just jaw-dropping. His face here of just like, oh, bollocks. And he's there, and he can't believe what he's done. And they have that shot that we orgasmed about when it was, was it Drew and Taker or someone like that? The rising the up. Rising yeah. up. Yeah. Wardlow appears just behind him. And this, he's just like, well, we all know where it's going from here. Wardlow pulls the straps down. Powerbomb Symphony. I think he hits three. Um, and... Down to the ring runs uh, Bryce Remsburg, and uh, the final powerbomb is uh, Spears onto the chair. One, two, three. Wardlow gets MJF at the pay-per-view on Sunday. And afterwards, um, every single one of the security runs in. And understand them, they do it one by one because they have to get into the ring. So this isn't just stupid, just why are you all going one at a time? There's only one way to get in, and they just run, clobber, run, knock you out. And then the last one, uh, Wardlow... Power bombs him onto the cage, but like he go. He, I saw a great tweet that said like Wardlow put him in the shadow realm because he got thrown into the cage and then slid down. <laughs> but there was the gap between the the ring and the 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 steel cage, and he just disappeared. And Wardlow climbs to the top of the cage. Great visual and points. Well, either the double or nothing sign or at MJF and MJF's just like. I'm buggered here. <laughs> great stuff. This. This was great. I'm gonna be a pedantic tiny bit pedantic about this I still think I don't want to say it was rushed because I never got the feeling of you're not getting enough out of this but I did think they could have got more out of it I don't know I just think if they'd paced it and it's again it's the problem with the show there's too many things that need to be accommodated on the show so that certain things feel a little bit rushed do you think and, maybe that's because some people have suggested and I don't think we've said it but I've certainly heard other people say oh they've been a bit indulgent with the MJF segments, and they've just gone, right, what's the strategy here? What are we trying to achieve? I just think that's But he's the best, well, the best part of the show, I agree. It's yeah, the best part of the okay show. It's the thing that people most care about. They could have drawn out the drama. There's mm -hmm. just more to play with because what you've got to play with is so hot, it's so great, it's so ingenious is the word that I just think that I wanted to enjoy it for three minutes more. Mm. Maybe that's greedy or maybe they've just missed a slight trick or maybe they shouldn't have signed... 10 of the wrestlers that they've signed of late <laughs> and have now had to accommodate. But this is great. And again, my and Hamlet's big thing is we want to be stupid marks 
who talk about this and love talking about it because we love it. We fantasy book stuff and then they do something much better. Or they do something that we haven't thought of because they are better than us and they know it. The key thing, genius. What an absolutely beautiful detail um, because it makes you think that MGF's actually outsmarted Wardlow all along and had that idea since the conclusion of Revolution. But no, Wardlow is just too strong, too much of a badass. There's just so many cool details here that I loved. Um, it was very economical. I might be contradicting myself here because those three minutes, I don't know how you spend them. All I know is that I could have done with three more. Do you patronize me by saying Sean Spears is going to get a heat spot? Because that wouldn't ring true. So, mm. But they didn't do that either. It was just a relentlessly cathartic thing that could have maybe had a little bit more drama to it. But when it's so fun, you do feel pedantic and you don't really yeah. care. And that is the part where you can just, you can actually park that part of your brain and think, you know what, I still thought this was great. And the, the other thing is as well, when you like something as much as we all like this, you, got, you know, how many times have we sat here and delved into a moment that arguably, you know, a casual fan may just think, oh, that's just something that happened. But because we are invested in it, I, when Wardlow broke out of the cuffs, I didn't think, well, why hasn't he done that before when he was getting hit with the belt or getting kicked in the bollocks? And then I thought, well, no, if you had that power, why would you do that then? Because you know you've already got a steel cage match to come. You do that at the last hurdle to be like, right, now yeah. you're buggered. So like, it's like a trap. It's a smart yeah. baby face laying a trap. A baby face is a smart in AEW. Yes. On that, actually, I, I didn't share those points that Cedric made about the time. I, I just felt it got all it needed. And maybe maybe it's sort of, I'm being generous here because so much on Dynamite hasn't felt like it's got all it needed lately that this, the mere fact that Wardlow's on the cage, MJF selling on the ramp and we're not just immediately, right, let's get out of here, was quite refreshing, I suppose. Mm. But there was, I had my own sort of pedants moment where I would have quite, we talked about this in the previous day, I would have quite liked if um, Wardlow would use MJF hand to strike the three. Yeah. But the longer I thought about it, the more I started to like what they did. It was Bryce Remsberg. Yeah. Came in and I quite liked it, it was another referee that came in because the more like I was willing, this is all my head cannon, but like the good angles are supposed to give you things to, that you want to think about or imagine that are just are true. Even if it's just things that you're projecting on the product, I wanted to think, well, we've been told that Wardlow's not really got a friend in the world backstage because of all the times he was having to help MJF. But does Bryce Remsberg reflect the first time that at least one person has gone, I bet MJF is a dick and he has this coming as we've seen before. With he the, let Cody use the weight belt. The awesome turner it was. Oh, yeah. bollocks. But sorry. like the idea that even the referees hate. Yeah. All the referees hate MJF, but they're kind of stuck with him as a wrestler. But at this point. Do you reckon he changed in the referee locker, locker room? Who? MJF. MJF. Again, imagine that he did. And imagine that he just booted them all out of their locker room so that he could have the whole thing to himself. You can pretend all these things and they're just fun to think about, right? But this idea that Bryce Remsberg hates him that much, as all the referees do that even though he too has got his own issues with Wardlow, that he looks at that and thinks, I'll have some of that. I want this to happen. I want MJF to suffer that. I can infer that and it not be that far away from what was presented to me. And I quite like that as a result. One thing, and I don't want to um, pollute the waters here because I have my own personal opinions on this, but they can get skewed. It's telling to me that people are so invested in this story. And if they are talking about, issues with AEW, they're centred around Punk Page and other things on Double or Nothing that I haven't seen, could be my curated timeline, haven't seen a load of discussion on a full-on chair shot to the head because, yes, it might have been a gimmick chair like the Cody one was, but, and Cody bled everywhere, which is, of course, his visual representation of, well, even if it's gimmick, does it really matter? What is it you're showing? Like, they've just done one, a, a big one, and a completely unprotected hands-down chair shot to the head. I don't like them, and it's not 
I, I'm probably softer centered. I don't like that you normalize something that gets copied again and then it just exists. And then we all wring our hands in five years when there's loads of CTE or some awful thing that occurs. But it happened and it was it really made sense within the context of what we were watching. It was very, very earned, very earned. And very if, over as well. Super over. If you think of Sean Spears, if you think of like what Wardlow was going through in the moment, there has been very little in the way of the the, the minging bad faith discussion that normally accompanies things like that. But I credit the storyline. I think people are so mm. into the storyline. I think people were swept up in that chair shop being, I might not like it, but I, c- I actually can see the narrative justification for it. I don't think, this speaks to a wider point that I'm trying to make about AEW right now, I don't think we've seen a full-on chair shot to the head since Blood and Guts mm-hmm. when they decided to go full hand with it to really try and... It was a shortcut to the tone, but it was an effective one because it just genuinely felt like this ultra-violent, shocking thing until the finish. But because you haven't seen chair shots to the head ad nauseum for months and months and months, it did resonate as a special, dramatic, scary, cathartic, whatever moment. And that's because they haven't done it one million times. Uh, how do you follow that? I'll tell you how. Jericho Appreciation Society, walking around backstage, walking up to a bloke working there in a Moxley t-shirt, and he gets a fireball in his face because Jericho's a wizard. Just like perfect palate cleanser, that for me. Loved it. Wade Keller made a great point. Why is someone who is effectively trying to hospitalize and disfigure both members of the roster and members of AEW staff allowed to commentate on Rampage? (laughs) It's It's one thing that he doesn't get fined. He, in fact, gets more money Mm. for a second job. That's Wade Keller's take, not mine. I want to put that out there because I think it's a great one. I didn't like this. I'm a wizard. It's funnier when he's done this fireball overreach once. Like, I'm a wizard. Like, the threat of Chris Jericho calling himself a wizard and chucking a fireball at you is funny. Chris Jericho running around and fireballing innocent people. You're not, like, you're not a wizard. You're a criminal and you're weird. Like, they're, it's, I, just, like, I, 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 I get it. I think that they're, like... So I think they underwrote the reaction to Kingston getting fireballed. Mm-hmm. And that should have been such so that guy. Here comes Rampage. <laughs> yeah, like that was that was very much the, like the tone of Kingston game. Well, he might never see again, but uh, if you want to see something, Rampage's <laughs> ready. It's like, uh, oh my god, what did Chris Jericho do? I don't care because I don't know him. Anyway, on to the next. <laughs> is that is that the line? Is that the well? He was just a complete stranger to me. To be but, honest, they could do that to my gran, and I'd be like, yeah, he's a wizard. He's a wizard, <laughs> gran. <laughs> you really love it, though. Yeah. Tough tits, gran. He's a wizard. Just, he told you it was, it, was the, it, was the, it was the trifecta. Do you know what it was the trifecta? And uh, it was. Daddy Magic trying to to like intimidate him. Cool hand engine. I don't know if he's had this the whole time or not, but a comb. I love him like <laughs> like, a, like he's something out of West Side Story or something. Like, ooh, I'm gonna slick my hair back because I'm I'm dangerous. And then Jericho's just like, what if I throw fire in your face? Like, like, that's actual danger. It's it's do you see what I mean? Like it's a bit totally dissonant of these guys being like, we're more wacky than anything else with our combs and stuff, but then but then he actually does the thing. I love it. They're walking down like the, the hall backstage, and Jericho's like, Yeah, I'm a wizard. And then like he, he aims people, but he misses. So like he just fires a fireball out and somebody goes running for the some stagehand runs to the hills and they, they're like, Whoa, Jericho, and then he's got another one. Like somebody else goes running, I'm a wizard. He's just theoretically Jericho might fire fireball you is the joke him like burning someone's face off backstage is is for real that's very good at it and it's a pretty hard thing to do as we see maybe he's just buzzing off the fact that 
Is this the first fireball stuff he's ever done in his career? Yeah. Maybe he's just buzzing that he's done it. He's just nailed it first time. And he's like, I'm a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Fireballs at the next Fozzie gig. Yeah. Plus, plus, I saw someone tweet this. It's been LTST, let's not forget. Stadium Stampede. He's <laughs> a witch then, now he's a wizard. Yes. It was so. the best. Oh, that was the best. This is a pandemic and it was the best. Yeah. Uh, right, let's talk about this face-to-face between the AW World Champion Hangman Page Christ. and CM Punk. I've got to uh, get lunch. As we predicted. Uh, was, the Luton manager's like, you better bring your dinner. <laughs> You're yeah. going to get such a bollock in this. Uh, this was done rather than with uh, Jim Ross in a taped backstage segment in the centre of the ring uh, with Tony Schiavone. Uh, they both come down, both make their entrances, um, and Punk talks about the fact that his biggest moment of his career happened in Las Vegas, and he was going to walk out of Double or Nothing as champion. Um, Page said there's nothing Punk could do to him to take the title away, and uh, Punk's just 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 poking the bear a little bit, saying, I don't know why he's taking things so personally, mate. It's just business. He's been watching some Tony D'Angelo promos, clearly. Uh, Page said when, he, when I talked promos about... Promos by who? Tony D'Angelo, you schmucks. Uh, How would the Dark Order speak if they were Tony D'Angelo's assistant? <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, stacks and two dimes. Uh, I'm the meat man. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, anyway, Paige said when he talked about an Preston Venge. <laughs> <laughs> When he talked about annihilating an embarrassing punk, he didn't mean a double or nothing. He meant right now, and he'd fantasized about dropping a... What was it? Pipe-bang. Pipe-bang. <laughs> you hate that, don't you? Pipe-bang. They, they killed it. I don't particularly blame Punk for that, but uh, just when he'd, he'd... Like, he'd think... It, well, it was a literal mic drop, wasn't it? Pipe-bang. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you making me go off here? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he said he wanted to do that. He wanted to let let one of them off in, in Punk's face. But now he just can't do it. He can't do it because that's exactly what Punk would do, and it's wrong. Um, he says, look, I, I don't hate you, Punk. In fact, I almost pity you. Um, I don't think you've got what it takes to be a champion because it's not just about holding this belt. It's about everything else. It's about little moments. It's about what goes on outside of the ring as well. Paige talked about his love for this place. And he said, a double or nothing, he'll be defending AEW from CM Punk. And again, Punk reiterates, I don't know why you're so angry all the time. Um, if, you, if you're so upset about me being here, you're going to have to do something about it this weekend. And he, he talked about the, the house that Paige built being made from the wood that Punk had chopped down. The roads that he travelled were paved by CM Punk. He gave him the he gave AEW the blueprint, etc., etc. And he said, you know what? You are going to shake my hand on Sunday. And shake my hand right now. And he, he pushes it in his chest and, and Paige doesn't want any part of that. And eventually they get into a bit of a shoving match and Paige clobbers uh, Punk with a right hand to, to drop into the mat and he just, uh, just feels that for a second and feels like he's he's got I'm not going to say rent free but he's, he's, he's making Paige fight emotionally which is the way he thinks he's going to be victorious there's been a lot of debate but I mean, I've already seen tweets from, from you guys about this online this morning about this and what they're attempting to achieve did they achieve it for you here? I think this is an amazing story, and I'm just glad we've got three more weeks for the pay-per-view to build it and explain it and flesh it out. Like, this sort of stuff has made me think, well, there's got to be a rematch after this, because Hangman Page, I put it to Cedric this morning over the desks, he's opened Pandora's box, and then he snapped it on your fingers, just as you go to peer inside. Like, they're, all the mentions of the things speak to something, but what that something is, we don't really know. I, look, we've just talked about with the MJF uh, Wardlow thing. It's okay to infer the odd one or two things, right? But Hangman Page asked us to infer so much about CM Punk there that hasn't even been remotely clued in on it. He could be foreshadowing an incredible 
CM Punk heel turn, right? An incredible one. And then down the line, Hangman Page has proven that he was the conscience and the cornerstone of AEW all along, and he could see what he could see what nobody else could. Uh, but we, you know, but what we had to see it for ourselves. Like, tell me, like, if you if if you really feel this way, I'm, I'm you you have earned my respect and you have earned my trust, and my loyalty. So tell me and explain this to me, and you know, don't necessarily leave that to be inferred because whatever it is, I'm not believing all of it because I'm still massively with Punk. I think that's a big and a bold story to tell, and they told big and bold ones with Hangman Page before, so I'd, I'm not stupid. I feel like I know what I'm supposed to be watching, but I don't think the delivery was particularly good. I don't think the timing of it was that great. I think the um, I think the 50-50 reactions in the building are nice on paper, but actually less than ideal in practice, because you could see here that whenever, like, the, the, the natural turn, to, I know they were trying to make it feel like a conversation, but the natural turn taken of pro wrestling was almost derailed by the differing fan reactions. So I don't think that was particularly helpful either. And I just don't know that whatever was whatever was touched upon here and then left well alone so they could get to the, uh, punk, I wanted you to hit me. Now I, now I know that I've got you. Like, they could have arrived at that in a more simpler fashion. And if they really did want to hit this stuff, they should have hit it weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago. I was saying weeks ago, like, okay, Hangman, you're really pissed off with CM Punk. It's probably time to tell me why. And then you never do until you're face-to-face. Uh, like, there are people online being super patronising and condescending about this. I, I know it's online. We're reviewing a TV show, not Twitter. But there are people online suggesting, like, come on, guys, if you don't get what this is all about, then you're the thing. So, and I was like, no. I, I don't get it. I don't, well, I don't agree with it as well. I think it's absolutely fine, shock of all shocks, to try and sell your title fight like a title fight, regardless of all the inferences and the little, the little character details that you're being asked to pick up on. This was fine. But this is AEW, this is Hangman Page versus CM Punk. I still think this will draw enormously. CM Punk fighting for the title, I think, is going to do huge numbers for them. And I don't think they've even scratched the surface of what it is they could have done together. I don't think they've even scratched the surface of what on earth they're on about. Just this is absolutely wildly unfocused to me. I would love nothing more in two months for the penny to finally drop and go, oh, that was great. And I wish I'd... Let it play out. I don't get this at all. I Not only do I not really get this, but I don't think lingering over what it might be is going to have a positive impact on the match. I've read a lot of people saying, I don't really get what they're going for here. And uh, ultimately, everyone has had the same opinion. And I don't think it's copium. I think it's a well-reasoned take. You've got CM Punk in one corner, Hangman Page in the other. How can it not be a bad match? Bad builds create bad matches. Like, genuinely. AJ Styles versus Edge. It's not as bad as that. Is it as bad as this? I don't know. People just thought, oh, it's AJ, AJ Styles and Edge. That should be a great match because it's got two great wrestlers in it. It's simply not as... It's not as if AJ and Edge went on last after, like, five hours. And it's like, all right, okay. The crowd just don't. The crowd weren't invested in the story or didn't know what to make of the story, so they did not give a toss about the match, irrespective of the talent and star power involved, yeah. I'm actually very worried. I was a little bit worried because that dissonance between CM Punk and uh, Hangman Page um, in terms of their physical styles, there's going to have to be some kind of wavelength compromise there, and whether they can click into that immediately is another issue. Like Hangman Page is this incredibly athletic, propulsive, powerful guy with an engine like no one else. CM Punk, and this is great, is the sweat-soaked, like, abdomen-puffing sort of, like, old guy who's wily. Like, they're going to have to 
pace this impeccably to sort of make it feel like punks like just selling as an old man and can't actually keep up with them and there's no sloppiness or these weird moments. This crowd does not know what to make of any of this. Like they, they don't. I can hear the reactions. They eventually did the. I think we're meant to be doing the dueling chance now. That's what I felt. I didn't really feel through the TV screen a proper emotional split reaction. Oh, this is unbearable. This the two guys I really like don't like each other and they are sort of threatening one another or, you know, I didn't feel conflict. I just felt like they thought, oh, that's a cute, it'd make some noise because they're talking loudly. So I don't know, I, I, honestly, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I can infer some of the things that haven't been, like, it's not, no one said the quiet part loud, Marge. Uh, la- no one said the quiet part loud yet. Um, I'm confused, talk- I'm literally confused talking about this. Try and let us just give us a minute. <laughs> What on earth was Hangman Page? I understand what he was doing to a degree. He's alluding to the fact that the CM Punk that everyone loves isn't quite the nice, principled guy that you'd like to believe. Hence the line about... And Hangman Page believes himself to be. That's why he feels like Mm -hmm. he can defend AEW from... It's Carney Succubus adjacent. He didn't outright say it, but he's kind of thinking, there's way more for Carney, guys. I'm not... I'm your real hero. And I'm kind of really resentful of the fact that... um, Punk's making himself out to be something he isn't. Um, but I'm too good to actually say that, thus proving my point. He's saying all of the... It's just not getting through in the messaging at all. And he conveyed this or alluded to it by saying, hey, you talk about workers' rights, if only people knew or something to that effect. That just makes me resent Paige a bit more. It's the worst part of a night out when somebody says, hey, you need to think about that. Well, you've got to tell me now, then. You've got to that teaser hanging, and then there's... No, nah, I couldn't possibly say anymore. That is an absolutely like, that amazing... That is the worst part of a night out when somebody says that, and Paige just did it. That is an amazing take, because when someone says, oh, I've got a great story or a great bit of gossip, oh, maybe I shouldn't tell you. Piss off. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most annoying thing, and that is an amazing take, that's exactly what he did. So not only did he withhold that sort of... Oh, come on, give us some more of this. Not only did he withhold that information... But they, he kind of made himself out to be a hypocrite. Who out of Hangman Page and CM Punk started a wrestler's union? Neither. So why is the no. other one, like, Moral criticized? High ground in the first yeah. One, yeah. They're both champagne socialists. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like the idea that there are principled people in this rotten game, but are there? <laughs> like, seriously, are there? I don't think there is. I would like to believe it, and it's the curve of WWE works wonderfully in AEW's favor, as we've discussed across several different. Um, controversies over its three-year lifespan. Don't talk about how one person's faking pretending about the workers, when if you look down the line of incidents that CM Punk, if he really cared, could have just stepped in and had a word mm. publicly when he's not punching down on Ryan Satin. Who deserves it? But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, easy targets. CM, it's not as if Hangman Page is the leader of the wrestling union either. Like, what <laughs> are you talking about? It just was so unfocused I couldn't infer enough from this. Maybe I'm being stupid, no, or maybe it's I going agree. over my head, or maybe these two have had an absolute nightmare when it comes to constructing the story. And I honestly think at this point, these two have had an absolute meh trying to do whatever it is they're trying to do. Gave me flashbacks when I was at university, and someone would be talking about something that I thought I had a decent grasp on, and then they'd say something, whether it be political or you know course-based or whatever, and I'd just have to go... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sort of get where you're aiming at here, but I just I'm not I'm not on that road with you, David Mitchell and Pete. going chance to be a fine thing over and over again because it's all he has to say because <laughs> yes. he doesn't actually know what's happening. I, there was one thing I forgot to mention 
and Cedric reminded me there when he was an- analysing that, the point about, was it when, um, you know, when I was, oh, you, I sat on that stage and it's like, yeah, well, I paved the way. Punk and Hangman Page arguing over how we all got here. Like, was like, oh, this should have been you and Cody and it would have been better and it would have been real. And instead you're doing the diet version of it because Cody's gone now and you've got to do it with a champion instead. Like, that was, that's somebody else's feud that you're having. And like, even Cody's little line, I shouldn't do the punk thing now, you know, like, that's got more heft and gravitas than Page trying to do it as the world heavyweight champion. That was, that was Cody's story and you've, you've fought it out here instead. <laughs> I just, I was just left very confused. Mm. Very confused. What would the casual fan make of this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. The hardcore fan doesn't really know what to make of it. Yeah. I've had people online, in other people's replies, some of mine, do you not get it? This is what's happening. Do you not get it? No, this is actually what's happening. I've had like eight different mm. responses. Well, you, I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> I think people can kind of get that. He believes that CM Punk is a charlatan. Mm. And if this is the story... And CM Punk is going to turn heel. Can he not just turn heel, having believed in the babyface stuff, but then something's happened in the f- storyline that's made him revert to his own ways? I don't want to undo the heft of the first dance. It was absolute magic. I don't want to think of CM Punk all this time, being yes. the charlatan or whatever, and then now that I've sniffing the title, which is the reason why I came back, now I can reveal my true colors. So this is a guy who spoke compassionately about um, stand culture and about people's capacity to change and about addiction and alcoholic um, issues. Why undo all of that for the sake of a I'm a snake old man sort mm. of thing? You know what I mean? Just why bother? You can turn heel in a different way. So mm. if it's leading to that, I wouldn't like that either. Mm, absolutely. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal 
personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, then we got a video package uh, hyping up the TBS Championship match for Double or Nothing between uh, Jay Cargill and Anna Jay. Uh, Jay saying she's learned from the veterans on the roster since they last uh, faced, and uh, she's ready to be the best. And Jay said, hey, I already beat her, so it'll be easy. They had a very good match, and it is that that has got me even remotely interested in the Double or Nothing. Like, this, this is a lie. This is absolute bollocks video package stuff over the top of a few that otherwise doesn't exist. And, you know, like, it's one thing to, pr- like, we praise WWE's amazing production or the, the video. If you only ever watch one show a month and it's the PLE, you get these incredible video packages. I, I should watch more TV because this stuff's amazing. It's like, no, it's not. Please just stick with these. Like, just, just pol- like, I like Anna Jay and Jade Cargill and think this might work. But I know when I'm watching a turd being polished, and that's what's happening for me. Obligatory. Yes. One word, obligatory. Uh, they had a great match on Rampage, a total over-delivery, and instead of building a story, they've just thought, oh, let's run that back. Yeah. No way, but run it back. It's pathetic. Uh, then we got Private Party versus John Moxley, and Eddie Kingston on commentary was a wizard. And uh, my soon-to-be new best friend, William Regal, I am interviewing him this afternoon, so if by chance you've uh, listened to this podcast in the few hours since we recorded it and before like 5pm here in the UK please do send me any questions you'd like me to ask him at Adam Wilborn on Twitter uh, but that will be out in the next few days hyping up double or nothing of course um, so yeah Moxley and Kingston face private party uh, they attack before the bell dominate early on uh, they get a bit of offence into uh, Quen and Cassidy uh, hot tag um, from uh, from Quen after an, an interseguri, uh, they bit, hit some big private party dives. Cassidy hit a diving stunner, and uh, Quen landed a shooting star press for a two after we go for a break, I believe. Uh, party go for the silly string, uh, but Kingston hits the hurricane, and Moxley does that clubbing thing. Just die. I'm going to hit you with elbows until you pass out, basically. And then... It's academic, but he hits him with the paradigm shift for the one, two, three. And as anticipated, immediately after the match, the Jericho Appreciation Society run down and try and beat him down to set up the uh, anarchy in the arena. I was trying to remember what it was called there uh, for Sunday, of course. Santana Ortiz, Brian Danielson run down to even the odds. Big brawl, big separation. Your thoughts on all this, Sige? Um, Obligatory. (laughs) Obligatory stuff. Yeah. Like the match, the win... The, the post-match beat down. It's pretty formula at this point. I did actually enjoy the action, and I want to really shout out um, Isaiah Cassidy. Some of his bumping is so great. It just looks like he's been killed. You can <laughs> do that wonderful. It looks like not only have you taken um, really like gruesome impact throw to the head, but it looks like your ankles have been broken at the same time because <laughs> it's messed up your whole body. It's not just, ah, my booty bonds. You look like <laughs> you've actually snapped your ankles back. Like, you're so good at bumping. Um, it was so much more polished. Like, Private Party, again, the problem with this company is there's too many fucking wrestlers in it because <laughs> Private Party, in spite of, like, that limited window in which to be able to perform, much less get over, has narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. They've still got way, way, way better Yeah, these heel rules, and they should be doing so much more. And it was such a weird... It was, was quite... 
oh my God, is that private party? <laughs> and they came out and the Andrade office thing. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing still, yeah. isn't it? So I did enjoy this. Um, again, though, like save, especially when it, as it pertains to the Blackpool Combat Club, when the entire genius premise of this storyline is that because Moxley and Danielson have been so well established that getting hopes, that like the Walters of a stable... My old thing about Walter is if you got a hope spot against Walter, it was just as good as like a win or a whatever. Because <laughs> yes. that's how dominant he was. Because Moxley and Danielson are so credible, because they can pace and work matches so well, that that's how they got Utah over. Is the second he starts to show a bit of fire one week, a bit more than next. He's got their number the third and fourth. It's like magic. I think they are squandering the near falls. It was it was evident in uh, Rampage. And I know it's Kingston, but it's still yeah, yeah. combat club. Uh, but across the Moxley-Danielson-Rampage match and the Moxley-Kingston-Dynamite match, like Moxley in particular is being a little bit too given. If the whole idea is you might even get inducted into the super credible gang if you can go toe-to-toe with them or take a beating, they should be very selective about the near falls in anything yeah. involving Mo- Moxley and or Danielson. Nothing is about the post-match. I've seen a million beatdowns at this point yes. in my life. Like one million Run-ins and beatdowns. Yeah, like to go back to the point I made at the start. This is the goal. I know it's wrestling. You have to do that. You do. It's obligatory. Is the word again? Like I'm just not. No pun intended. Fired up for this match on Sunday, but AEW have shown us anarchy in the arena without having to tell us about it. Like the Inner Circle versus Men of the Year was half decent. The one with friggin' Sting and the lads was unreal yeah. at the last pay-per-view, and I couldn't have been less interested. That mm. was the Andrade family office and all that's gone on for ages, and then they just have this total chaotic ripper. So without having to label it as such, these pay-per-view ones have tended to rule. So you absolutely have to give this the benefit of the doubt, but I'd, it's not left me feeling particularly energised. Uh, we got a couple of video packages, decent video packages to hype up the two semi-finals in the Owen Hart Cup, and then former Sunderland manager Chris Coleman, sorry, C- Priest Coleman, joined commentary. <laughs> for wow. so, I thought you'd like that. Uh, Priest Coleman, obviously, joined commentary. One of the highlights of Sunderland till I die on Netflix, which I can not really recommend, but is uh, Chris Coleman getting shouted at by uh, a Sunderland fan. We're bottom of the table. Everything's going awfully, awfully wrong, and uh, somebody says, "All right, Chris, you prick." And Chris Coleman just stops in his track says, you call me? You call me a prick? I'm my mum with six kids. You call me a prick? As <laughs> if there are stipulations to what makes someone a prick. <laughs> anyway, this was the Ring of Honor Tag Team title match. Yeah, FTR versus Rapongi Vice. Um, nice early exchanges from uh, Rocky Romero and Cash Wheeler. Uh, cross arm breaker forces Cash to roll out to the floor. Then Dax and uh, Tent, uh, Tent, Trent even come in. Uh, and more physical stuff here. Hard chop exchanges. Um, Cash uh, hitting an assisted elbow drop for a two count. Uh, Rocky gets a blind tag and there's a half and half suplex from Trent to get a two count and takes to a break. When we come back, Dax gets the hot tag, fights off both of them, um, and uh, Trent manages to recover and whip Dax into the turnbuckle. German suplexes to that uh, to Dax until he can uh, fight back and hit some of his own. And uh, there's a bridging pin that Rocky Romero jumps on top of to uh, to break it all up. Um, then it looks like Rapongi might have the uh, might have the titles won. They hit a rising double knees on Dax. Um, 
There's a Rocky making sure that Cash can't get involved. There's the diving drop kick. Trent hits in his uh, sli- sliding lariat. Uh, Trent, uh, that gets a two count. Trent and Dax which repeat sort of cradling each other. And then they manage to hit this, a sort of strong zero for a near fall. I think that was the point where one of them got pushed into the pile mm. uh, to break it all up. I believe it was Rocky who got knocked into um, uh, Dax getting pinned by Trent. Anyway, in the midst of all this, who should run down but Invaders from New Japan, Jeff Cobb and the great Otan. <laughs> Why has that bought me? I thought I've already written down in the notes. Invading. It's very so expressive, though. Uh, the United Empire, as they are known in <clears throat> New Japan, uh, run down, attack, DQ, um, and both teams just get laid out by, uh, nicely Jeff Cobb back in AEW, by Jeff Cobb and the great Okan. Um, tour of the Islands. Uh, by Cobb on Dax, I believe, and then he powerbombed him through a table. And O'Conn does the claw slam to Trent on a table to the outside to put him through that, and then they stand Barely. with the ring of honour. Trent did a good job putting himself at the table, didn't Tag tiles, yeah. Um, what do you think of this? Uh, well, a, a DQ, but I, I think you pointed this out on Twitter, but I'm sure the super fans will forgive The mega, mega fans. fans even will forgive me. I'll forgive um, you for that as well, you cock. Indeed. But about the fact that Sporadically, it's DQs not fine, but they're they're bearable. And it w- did you think it worked in this scenario? Uh, in context greatly, in context, and in execution, and in everything, and in scarcity as well. Yes, you f- three DQs in one show. And Tony Khan's super cute, and this is technically a Ring of Honor DQ. Yeah, because no, <laughs> it was know. a Ring of Honor match. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, but seriously, it's on Dynamite. The same thing. Unfortunately, it is the same thing. There's a difference. There's <laughs> <laughs> some really good. And one little bit bad about this, but the bad is macro. Let's talk about the micro of the match. Some of this wrestling was great. Yeah. So physical, and they told such a good story, and it was so well executed, and there's so many lovely little moments throughout that I was really on the hook for this. And then when they took it away from me through an actual transgression by an invading force who wouldn't give a toss about the rules in AEW, the promotion they want to appear better than ahead of the forbidden door... A no disqual- uh, disqualification in this context is absolutely perfect. They're not going to have any repercussions. They're not going to get, like, um, docked at the pay window or anything for this. It was perfect, and at the same time, they told such a great story of how Rapongi Vice felt as good as FTR in this match that it's various points. One, I bought the finish. The stack um, pin like and collapse in that was just so perfectly timed. It was beautiful. Heart was in the mouth. And the fact that it was going, trending in the direction of, oh, I'm losing myself in this finish. This is awesome. I don't know who's going to win. And then they remove the doubt again by ruining the match for you. Again, do it once in a blue moon, and it actually works as a transgression. Cobb and Ocon's stuff didn't actually look that great. Cobb did, Ocon, not so much in the post-match. But, you know, maybe it was jitters. Dax, sorry, Cash Wheeler, actually using the ropes, not as something to run around to make cool things happen, but as something to launch himself off to deliver a dropkick. He just uses it as a weapon. Cash Wheel is so goddamn underrated. He's amazing. Um, but I want you to think about this, Wilborn. Remember the segment. Great O'Conn and Jeff Cobb come in. Right. Contrast this with the first time you saw Jeff Cobb in AEW. It felt like the world had broken in the most wonderful way. It felt so shocking. It felt so out of nowhere. It felt amazing. It Jericho felt like, bring him in. Yeah, it's part of the inner circle. He was the mercenary to have the match with um, Moxley. Moxley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, like, amazing. You just thought, my God, they've just broken something, and it's great. It's like the 
distortion from creep on Radiohead where it's like, it just feels like a mistake, but it's better. And it's like, this shouldn't be happening, but no, it should because it's awesome. Um, Jeff Cobb's third appearance in AEW. Yeah, the debut, the beatdown, then the subsequent match, which ripped. And now this is his third one all these years later, right? It follows um, cameos and forbidden door openings or whatever from W. Morrissey, Johnny Elite, and Big Demo. Those three names in succession are damning. It feels like Tony Khan is obsessed with surprises and shocks, irrespective of who these people are, because Johnny Elite. John Morrison stands. Big Demo. Really rate him. He was the star of War Games. The best War Games match in NXT to this day. He was the star of it. I don't want to see him as Big Demo. Maybe if they went three months without any of this. Mm. Oh, that's cool. That's Big Demo. Oh, there's a guy. Yeah. And it's just... Jeff Cobb's appearance here just really brought into focus for me, in contrast to his first two appearances, just how much the novelty of all of this is dead. And guess what? Forbidden Door is sold on this novelty. So what a weird time to do W. Morrissey, Demo, and Johnny Elite. Maybe one, not three, ahead of Forbidden Door. Like he's, I think Tony Khan's lost the plot at times. It's perhaps a little bit too inconvenient as well. I'm like I'm speculating here, so I don't want to like create a nightmare if it's not even going to happen. But it is my belief <laughs> off the back of this that um, Okan and Jeff Cobb will probably. I think it's. I, I looked at this this morning and I've already forgotten. Shame on me. I think it's Badock Farley and Chase Owens are the IWGP Tag Champions. You're right. Yeah, they've got a match coming up. Because they, they held the, the, the uh, New Japan tag titles for like 22 days, I think. This feels very neat and tidy that they will now win those belts. And, oh, who wanted the IWGP titles? FTR. Oh, who's just been attacked? Oh, here's this match. Like, it's quite convenient if we suddenly arrive on these two teams facing each other after this running and after this attack. So, bit of a shame that we've had to witness it happen through like a couple of botches from the Great Okan as well. Like, the kind of the, the stuff that will be flagged as that was less than ideal when it was supposed to be this dominant domineering beatdown but i'm going to end this little section on a positive i uh, like i was quite harsh on the build to this match and the matches need to exist and yet ftr are clearly in such luxurious form that when you watch a caramel smooth match like this you're like oh it just doesn't matter. Yes. Put FTR out there at the moment because they're just wrestling, like hair ruffling comment this, but they're wrestling <laughs> their bloody little hearts out. <laughs> like everything they're doing is so, so good at the moment. Midas touch stuff that this match was great. FTR versus Jeff Cobb and Great O'Connell probably be great. So it doesn't matter if it all feels a little bit fake and a little bit contrived and oh, why are we doing this? Oh, you can see why we're doing this. Oh, it's convenient how all the belts have worked out. Put all the belts on them because they're the best. If anything, scrap a couple of matches and double or nothing and give them an <laughs> impromptu. Like, I'll take that at this point because I want to watch FTR yeah. wrestle. They're just in such great form that you're seeing the reason why it's still worth shaping things around them. Um, but fundamentally, and with Sidgwick, like you've created such an expectation for these surprises that even when they occur, unless they're absolute blockbuster knock out of the park surprises, it's just like, yeah, this is what happens on AEW. And that's a less than ideal situation to be in. Mm. Uh, right, then we got the Hardys uh, backstage uh, talking about the Young Bucks. Uh, similar upbringings, but once they broke into the Abunia, uh, their similarities ended. Uh, the Bucks don't have the fortitude to success like the Hardys did. Uh, Matt Hardy talked about 
Uh, you uh, you want to talk about the elite? We'll talk about the delete. And uh, they'd say that the books are just hardy cosplayers. They're the goats. Jeff Hardy does a goat impression in here. Uh, and said that the books were just stepping stones on their way to become tag champs. And uh, the books weren't even better babies than them. I forgot to mention that. Um, the saying is never meet your, meet your heroes. But in this case, the books, Michael Hamlet, will never beat their heroes. Fantastic wordplay, that. And they've already done it. And they've done it in... Tony Khan's Ring of Honor. <laughs> like, that's happened. The, the Young Bucks have been... I didn't like this at all, right? I... Oh, no, what am I supposed to take from it? Like, was Matt Hardy intentionally deluded in the bollocks that he was spouting here? Because half of it was a lie. Like, they've... And not just pedantic wrestling fans beat them. Like, this whole thing about uh, Young Bucks wouldn't have made it, like, the, you know, the, the Hardys were better built for, like, the olden times in the way that Young Bucks wouldn't be now. Like, I get what he's alluding to there. I do. You know, they, like, they don't drink good Christian boys, all that stuff. Like, I, when the Hardys went off that beaten track, everything went to shit for them. Like, it was getting back on it and getting back to the likes of wrestling with the Young Bucks that kind of saved the souls of the Hardy yes. boys multiple times over to put them in a position where they are now. Like, was Matt Hardy trying to present himself as a deluded heel? Is this, is this just that, like, generic wrestling dream match? The characters don't matter. Like, I just did not care for this. I think it's that latter one. And the Young Bucks are still... Like, I like this slow burn Young Bucks babyface turn, but then they kind of betrayed that in setting this match up by still being like... say, how slow is this? Dickhead heels in the beatdowns. So, I'd, I like, the match graphic is... It's either that or Matt Jackson acting conflicted melodramatically about what he wants to do to his hero, so... The match your, graphic is doing, like, impossibly, like, large amounts of heavy lifting. And even then, for some, I don't think that's enough. I think this match feels like it's for the Young Bucks, so it's happening. I was shockingly high on this, given that I just don't like the Hardy Boys. I'm not like 15 years old anymore, 36. <laughs> like I understand, and I honestly I admire like loyalty. Obviously, fan fan culture in general is so like toxic, and I just thought, hey, come on, just like what you like, don't pretend that everything's automatically good because this thing that you used to like is still good. I don't get it, but I guess it's nice. Maybe it makes me feel a little bit unhuman that I bump loads for me, but. I, did it years ago. Don't <laughs> just, just don't care. It's Maybe the Jericho I'm, thing you always say, isn't it? When he's on a down cycle, it's like sort of, oh God, this idiot again. And yeah, then the guy's, guy's taking like more bumps than I've probably ever watched in my <laughs> life. I like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but I just, I know the story was patronizing. And I've got a, another problem with it. But I just thought the delivery was just so good that I thought, you good carnies. Well done. <laughs> well done. I'll tell you what my problem with this is, right? And I thought, again, the delivery was going to make me like a team that I just don't really care about. You know, Matt Hardy, I've had to endure him for like two years at this point. And I think I've enjoyed him twice. But this is thrice now, so well done. <laughs> I've read the Young Bucks autobiography, right? In it, they talk about how much it meant to them to wrestle the Hardys, how much it drew to Ring of Honor, and how it felt like a career peak because it proved that they were good enough to wrestle and earn the respect of their heroes. It was just a thrill to be able to do that. And their match at Supercard of Honor, I think it was in 2017, had drawn what was, to that point, ROH's biggest house, right? And then, we all know what happened on that weekend. They worked a second consecutive ladder match in 24 hours in WWE. And Matt and Nick, in their autobiography, just expressed their, like, their acceptance that, right, of course you're going to go to WWE, you're not going to stay and work a program with just us. Like, we're not that, we're play brats, but we're not dickheads. Um, but yeah, we completely understood, endorsed, 
encouraged or whatever the decision, absolutely fine. We just wish we could have done more yeah. with the Hardy Boys, right? So why are they doing the exact same thing? What? Where's the more? <laughs> oh, we could have done more. And the sample points out, they've got the footage if they wanted to say, all right, this is where the story left off. But it was never more than a intergenerational mirror match. And they're just repeating it again because they realize there's not much bloody more of the story, is there, at all. But, you know, I didn't hate them, which is the curve of how much I just don't like the Hardy Boys at all. <laughs> really helped. There's like, like, there's a massive, massive spectrum of, in terms of the quality of this match on Sunday, isn't there? Like, they could really pull this one out and it could be totally awesome. Oh, well, maybe it was encouraging because they realized, oh, we're, past we're, we're absolutely thrashed. We're absolutely cooked, but we've got like a lot of professional pride and all the rest of it. Like if they do bits where like Matt Hardy is like crawling around them, uh, Matt sort of Jackson, sorry, is crawling around the mat, mirroring Jeff, just be absolutely goosed and like taking the piss out of how broken they are. And then they make the comeback. Like there's loads of can do. Yeah. It's the books. Like I would honestly think the books, given twenty minutes on pay per view against uh, the Miz and Braun Strowman, I think they could work a really. <laughs> I think they could work a really great match against those two absolute. Uh, I don't know what they are. But they're not good, are they? What's <laughs> the young book's book called? Killing the business. Killing the business. It's genuinely, one of the best books out there. That isn't Michael Sidgwick's uh, becoming uh, elite. The rise of AEW, which is available on Amazon right now. There you go. Uh, let's talk about the three-way. Uh, it was Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks, and Swerve Strickland ahead, of course, of the uh, six-man tag match at the pay-per-view. Uh, immediately, they should start trading roll-ups, and then, because these three work so well together, Swerve popped Jungle Boy into a Hurricane Rana from Ricky Starks, but then Starks trips Jungle Boy up and hits a lariat on the floor and voids a Swerve dive and sends him into the barricade. All this stuff happens. Takes us to a break. When we come back, uh, there's an apron Hurricane Rana from Jungle Boy on Swerve. They get back in the ring and Jungle Boy hits that sliding elbow of his to the back of Swerve's head. That gets a two count. He hits a sort of Olympic slam on uh, Ricky Starks to get another two count. Oh, I love this spot. Jungle Boy and Swerve are fighting on the top rope. Starks tries to get involved and piss off you, he gets shoved off, and Jungle Boy's like, right, reverse Hurricane Rana off the top, this will make show this dickhead what I'm about, does it, Swerve lands on his feet, because he's just mint, <laughs> and they just crowd love it, and you know, who, whose house, it's Swerve's house, and I just, wh why would you release him, WWE, look at what you could have had, anyway, uh, Swerve goes for a big vertical suplex, but as he's got uh, Jungle Boy up in the air, in comes Starks, hits him with a spear, um, he follows that with a Mishinoku driver to get a two count on Jungle Boy. I think he pokes Swerve in the eye, hits the Rochambeau, uh, but Jungle Boy gets involved and puts Starks in the snare trap. And I don't think I've seen anyone sell the snare trap quite as well as Ricky Starks does. Just, just, oh no, I'm going to die here, scrambling, trying to get to the ropes. He does, but Jungle Boy pulls him back in. Um, but as he looks like he's going to make uh, Ricky Starks submit. Swerve breaks it up, jumping thrust kick. Swerve stop on Ricky Starks. One, two, three. Uh, Swerve Strickland wins this match. Full momentum heading into the pay-per-view. Uh, and then as anticipated, post-match, powerhouse Hobbs come down. He attacks Swerve. He attacks Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus runs down to make the save. And then, greetings, rings out around the arena. I don't know. That's not his theme. <laughs> imagine, if that was his, imagine if that was his sting. Yeah. Greetings! That'd be so good. Keith Lee comes down. Um, Hobbs gets sent out with a Luchasaurus tail whip. And then Lee, Keith Lee, Keith Lee hits a sort of slingshot dive onto Hobbs and Luchasaurus on the floor. It's like a tornado. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, and then he stands tall with Swerve, raises his arms in the air. Um, notes on this one, Sage. Uh, I liked this so much more than I thought I was going Me to. Me too. It was meant to do two things, and it did one because it's never going to do the, the second thing. 
it was meant to, in storyline, establish who has the momentum going into it. By like two minutes of like ridiculously like silly but great multi-man sequences on the pay-per-view, you're gonna completely forget who won this match. So it didn't really need to exist, but it did make me realize, hang on, this is going to be absolutely class when it happens. And I thought, without being blow away great in that sort of intoxicating, oh, I'm losing myself in a, an amazing match way. Good, because that's for the pay-per-view. This is meant to give you the tiniest glimpse I thought was measured perfectly. I was besotted by Ricky Starks in a sense of showmanship. He just looked like the biggest star in the world. Yep. On a show that is particularly hard to feel like a star, as I've mentioned quite a lot during this podcast. I was besotted with him. Swerve Strickland ended his best individual performance yet. He was absolutely magnificent. Jungle Boy was genuinely great in a less sort of flashy, mm-hmm. eye-catching way. But, you know, he's really great at sort of just tethering everything together, being in the right place at the right time for maximum dramatic effect for the saves and the counters. The post-match was really entertaining for once because it's, sometimes it just feels like a, a blurry hailstorm of fists and things to do because that's how you advance a story. Keith Lee did the most memorable thing in a post-match I can recall in AEW for quite some time. All of this made something that's flawed and not great feel like the best version of an imperfect thing is going to happen on Sunday night. It sold the tag match for me, and that's exactly what it was there for. That's it, yeah. This was as good a match as it was an effective hype job, and it was just nice to see those two things coming together in a way that didn't feel forced. As forced as the arrangement of this match did in the first place, it did away with all of that feeling of, oh, this is fake, this isn't it? You know, because by the end of it... I was completely bang game for the tag match based on this little shop window to what I'd been saying. Mm. One of the sort of low-key success stories of this episode and a nice reminder that AEW's brand of, like we have talked a lot on podcasts going back years about good wrestling just not being enough anymore, and it Mm. isn't. But AEW's brand of good wrestling is very, very good and sometimes can be, and I think they know they've got that. This this wasn't going to like... I don't think the tag match on Sunday will steal the show. Nor do I think those are the expectations, by the way. But I don't think it will steal the show. But I think they were trying to tell you through this match and post-match that they're going to try and they've got the ability to do it. And I just think AEW's, for the for all the uh, the criticisms of the the roster blow and the, the misuse of certain talent, I think this is a reminder of, like, it's, I know it's only three years old, the old soul of AEW. This is still... Fundamentally, what it exists for was mm. something like this. And uh, before we move on, if you're a fan of uh, Ricky Starks, and if you're not, what's wrong with you? Um, he's going to be getting interviewed by the brilliant Andrew Pollard later on today. If you want to send him a question just before about six o'clock UK time, <laughs> not got a great deal of time, uh, you can send it to him at Cultured Left Peg on Twitter. Uh, he's chatting to, to Ricky Starks and to Jamie Hayter, in fact. We get a promo backstage from uh, Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year, and the, no one got slut shamed for once. Um, he just said, oh, what do you think you're doing, um, Sammy Guevara? Smash up his title belt. That's not going to do anything. You're not going to get the match you wanted. In fact, not talking to you, love. Um, <laughs> uh, he says, it's not going to get you a match you wanted. And I've, I run American Top Team. Of course I can get belts. I've got everyone on speed dial. It's a piece of piss. I'm going to give uh, Scorpio Sky his new belt on AEW Rampage. What could possibly go wrong there? Well, we'll talk about that on the preview on Friday. The quality of a segment. <laughs> <laughs> Right, um, a bit of a test here um, next up for both of you. I know particularly you, Hamflet, you're a bit of a wrestling encyclopedia. You've got a great memory for wrestling. Do you remember the AEW Women's World Champion? Because AEW finally did here. Uh, They had Thunder Rosa finally coming out uh, and doing something. Uh, She comes out to cut a promo ahead of her match with Serena D, but she's got no face paint on. She's got a cowboy hat instead. She's got no face paint on, though, uh, because this is the real her, uh, and she wanted 
um, people and, and Serena to see what a champion looked like. And then on Sunday, she's going to be wearing the war paint. Um, Serena Deeb's never going to look like her, she said. Um, and she talks about the fact that she's just bitching and moaning all the time. And, and, and she used to look up to Serena Deeb. Um, and she's going to make Serena Deeb pay for the disrespect. And then she pauses and goes to do the wrap-up segment. And they, I don't know, when you go too long at the Oscars, they start playing the music there, basically. It was just a mess, this. Well, I liked how she just decided, oh, I've still got my promo to finish. Do not rush me off. Do not rush me off. I'm not finished talking. I, I just... Please let this bang on the pay per view. I like. I don't think the build up's been anywhere near. Um, it's not. It's sold a match based on the idea that these are the two best women fighting for the promotion's top title, and that's just about all it's done. And that's not enough, realistically, no. is it? No. It I does feel like a women's wrestling story. Yeah, I will say that. That I do like. I mean, I can't really talk. I can't really speak for that. But from my perspective, it does. There was a. There was a point, wasn't there, when. Uh, Thunder Rosa had beaten Nyla Rose, and she said something along the lines of, "Right, I'm, you know, I'm only going to fight like proper in-ring contenders anymore. I'm not going to because they'd like had some like pyro and ballyhoo, as Vince Russo would say, that set us up for that match. It's not going to be about that. It's going to be about the wrestling. They have at least lived up to that, but it was only a very small detail, and it's not really something that's been dwelled on since. So I'm not even sure if that's just my head cannon rather <laughs> no, than that's a, true. rather than a detail that they've put in place. So this was supposed to be all about who is the better wrestler. And Serene Deeb's comments are supposed to be about it's not about like what cutting my hair or satisfying the perverts or anything like that. And Thunder Rosa was saying that too. It's it's not about what we say to each other in the build up. I'm gonna put wall paint on and it's about the wrestling match. So if the wrestling match is awesome, all of the brief has kind of been satisfied. But again you can kind of see that the AEW as a company is still kind of faking it till they make it a little bit. Yeah, like, it does feel like a women's wrestling story, and I think that they could have handled, just shave two minutes off the men's match in the main event. You've done it before, mm. do it quite a few weeks, actually, when the pacing's out of control, so just let her finish. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was just ridiculous that they stopped doing, like, I guess that's it, hit the music. Yeah, you cannot not look undermined when they yeah. do that to you. Um, this was the women's section of AW Dynamite because next, uh, Red Velvet's was backstage. it an hour and a half into the show? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> looking at looking at the clock, uh, Red Velvet's backstage. Uh, she was not happy, obviously, about losing her quarterfinal match. Mm. Yes, off the top of my head, uh, in the Owen Hart Cup. Um, and in comes Ruby Soho, and she says, "Here's a notebook of information all about how you beat Chris Statlander." Because obviously, she's got a relationship with her. Um, and Soho said, "I don't need the notebook. Uh, I'm up against a new version of Chris Statlander." And that match goes down on AEW Rampage. We'll talk about more of that on the preview on Friday. Then it was time for the semi-final in the women's division: uh, Britt Baker versus Tony Storm. Uh, early on, technical exchange from uh, back and forth stuff from the both of them. Um, they brawl to the outside and Storm gets sent face first into these steel steps to take us to commercial. When we come back, Storm makes a comeback, swinging DDT and a hip attack. She hits an Alabama slam, but Baker counters Storm Zero into an air raid crash. That gets her a two count. Then Jamie Hayter appears, walks down the ramp, and you think, what shenanigans are going to happen here? She exchanges some words with Britt Baker. Uh, in the midst of all this, Storm uh, rolls up Britt Baker, but she gets out of it and uh, hits. Uh, Storm manages to hit her uh, with a release German suplex. There's a tornado DDT off the apron. Uh, Baker gets planted on the floor. In the midst of all this, this is when you start seeing, because I noticed it first because I saw the referee putting his gloves on, so I was like, well, someone's busted open. It was uh, Tony Storm. She might have a broken nose they were talking about on commentary. Uh, haters knocking about though, so Storm knocks her off the apron, uh, and Baker rolls up Tony Storm. 
uh, and holds onto the ropes. And I think, I'm not sure whether Hay was meant to be involved. It was all a bit of a mess, this. But regardless, Britt Baker pins Tony Storm. She advances to the final to face the winner, as I said, of uh, Ruby Soho versus Chris Statlander on AEW Rampage. Your thoughts on this match? Uh, I, I didn't understand the finish. I don't think it was botched. I think what they were going for was a slight intentional delay. Like the ambition, the, the, the timing, the intended timing of the spot was ambitious because I think it was meant to come across like hey, it had waited until the last second to actually do it, stemming potentially from the fact that wrestling being wrestling, pretty much since day one, there's been this other going to probably split up at some point angle. But that did that. Uh, maybe I'm being generous. And it was just botched. I've got any idea, particularly since they've been kind of pally again. Yes. After it really feeling like they were breaking up and then not. If you, I'd love to watch. I might actually sit down and watch a dynamite from just five months ago, just to see how much is informed what followed, because it just feels all over the place at the minute. Uh, quality of the work was not particularly good. No. Uh, Tony Storm looked good individually. I can't say as much about Britt Baker. There was a point where it just felt. And this, this is probably extraordinarily harsh, but I'm going to say it. It felt NXT 2.0 level when Storm Zero was reversed into the air raid crash. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like she was firing up and no selling it. It just felt like she'd simply taken a move and then was going to take another move and then just counted it. It didn't feel like she was firing up. It didn't look like she was really smartly countering something. It just felt like they had a move to do in an order, in a certain order, and then just did it without any of the emotion informing why you were able to pop straight back up. Just felt like poor, piss poor selling. And a lot of people not happy online that Tony Storm didn't win this match. Yeah, um, I don't know about that. People I, wanted this to be, I wanted this to be the final. Well, this should yes, be the final. Absolutely. Yeah, like this, Glad it wasn't. Yeah, maybe. Like this was, I'm probably just echoing Cedric's point there, this felt way more cooperative than it was competitive, which is less than ideal. I We have different reads, myself and Cedric, on this finish, um, which suggests that whichever one of us is right or wrong, or neither of us might be, it's not ideal because yeah. everybody's supposed to get the gist. I thought Hater was supposed to help, and it was just a botch because Tony Storm had made a comment, hadn't she, that, like, do not do usual dirty tricks, do not screw me, otherwise there's going to be absolutely hell to pay. And then they've kind of done it anyway. Britt Baker has yet again relied on her mates, so as a result... Or was Hater worried about the threat of Tony Storm, and that's why she... Did it a little bit. So we've got three separate, like, so there, it's been, at very least, it's been too ambitious in its scope because yeah. we've, like, I've read it as a botch. Sid has found two very logical ways in which it might not have been a botch, but it's not presented itself clearly enough for us to infer one of the three. Mm. Um, don't get, your, don't get your, your mates in your stable to help you win because it just should just be one-on-one on one and Britt Baker's gone. We're going to do it anyway. I thought it was that. Well, you can say it. Give you the excuse to press the button in a minute. Yeah, so, uh, I'd, I'd, I'm happy. Whatever you press the button, why won't get out yeah. press there? The work wasn't good enough. The work wasn't anywhere near good enough. This tournament has not, these tournaments have not been that great. God, I'm just glad that we can, there's no more, there's no, no more tournament action to come on this pre, on this review. You know? I've loved like three tournament matches. And there's like I want Chris Statlander to win and I feel like I'm being told that Ruby Soho's going to. Oh, Ruby Soho's Statlander Baker is the better final for me. On and I, and I, I also don't know whether I, uh, don't like don't like this tournament as much as I thought I would because the people I wanted to win didn't aren't in the finals. Does that make sense? In terms yeah. of, I, sometimes I do this. I say before where a match happens and you you guys are heaping praise on it, and I'm a bit like, 
Yeah, but they didn't do the impossible spot that I booked in my head, so I didn't like it as much. It's, I, I don't know, it's very self-defeatist. But, but, brackets, yes, are supposed to generate all these cool thoughts about all these potential combinations and permutations. That's the exci- That's why tournaments are theoretically great, right? But then, the point of, it's wrestling, it's fake. So the point of you constructing these brackets is for people to think these things. And then when you don't deliver these things, and you instead go from different directions, it's like, then you just book the tournament differently then. Like, if that's the way you want to go, find a way to do it where you're not showing all these other things and then providing something different. Like, the Kingdom of 1995 should not have had Savio Vega and Mabel in the final. No. When Sean and The Undertaker are opposite sides <laughs> of it. But, right, don't, like, give people this. we got two stars in this, and they're opposite ends of the brackets. Oh, my God. Savio Vega and Mabel, baby. Like, that's why people hate that tournament. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this? Mm, I was trying to... Are you, going, are you having a little play? Wait there. <laughs> None of these buttons fit. Uh, maybe something organically occur during the main event. Okay. <laughs> Wait and see. All uh, right. Semi final. <laughs> the men's tournament was the main event. It was Samoa Joe versus Cool Cattle Rally. Um, early on, Samoa Joe just, just stiffs him, just clobbers uh, O'Reilly with a load of strikes um, and uh, hits him with a chop. And a standing elbow drop from uh, Samojo gets a two count. O'Reilly starts making a comeback. It's, you know, he's, he he talked about this in the in the road too. He said, "I'll take two to to, to manage to get one." Um, starts coming coming back, hitting him with strikes of his own, but gets cut off with a back elbow. But he manages to land a diving knee drop and goes for the armbar to take us to a break. When we come back, uh, Joe's arm has been targeted by Kyler Riley, as he uh, do, has done previously to Ray Phoenix, of course. Um, but he uh, fires back up, hits that running senton, which always looks so good when Joe, Joe does it. He hits him with a lariat, that gets him a two count. Um, sets up the muscle buster, but O'Reilly fights out of it and uh, puts him in the Fujiwara armbar, which Joe eventually breaks out of. They're trading strikes in the ring. They've got that, it's not called the wacky line, but I forget what it's called, the the, the gimmick where O'Reilly gets hit and goes into the... To rebound. The middle, yeah, the middle and the bottom rope and comes back. Joe hits an Inseguri. O'Reilly fires back with a soccer kick. Um, goes sent into the ropes, uh, counters the STO, rolls Joe up, but Joe kicks out, and I saw a nice thing that said this was... Similar to what happened with Joe and Styles, I think, in TNA, where he's trying to grab him for the pinfall and he just kicks out of him and simultaneously grabs him oh, into yeah, a rear yeah, naked choke. Yeah. Um, and O'Reilly's just, you could just see the panic in his eyes and he's holding onto that one arm to make sure that the injured arm can't complete the choke. But eventually, Joe manages to get it around, chokes Kyle O'Reilly out, gets the victory. He will face Adam Cole in the final. And there's a stare down as Cole walks out on the ramp to close the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was really going to be um, Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. So I was left with, on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So great news. No Samojo versus Jay Lethal on their main card or the pre-show of Double or Nothing. So that's good. That takes away one match and a Jay Lethal match, which is very good. Um, There was some really nice work, like the the arm work now it informed the finish and it just made Joe feel like a badass. That was good. And um, the general mesh of styles, like technique versus power, striking. That was all very good. There was a bit on the outside. I don't know if it was actually during picture in picture. Might be. When he smashed him and looked like he'd caved his chest and it was so hard hitting. But, and I worry about this for the match itself. Like Joe's so cooked. Like he's so unbelievably cooked. Like his conditioning is not. I don't dare I say good enough for main event of television, like a singles match on an AEW pay per view. When and Danielson can't get one at this point because they are trying to crowbar so much talent under the show. 
the thing about Samoa Joe is that some of his stuff looks so revolting, and by that I mean beautiful. Yes. Because it's so physical and it looks like it really hurts, and it's, it's, you know his whole aura, his presentation, the way he carries himself, it's just awesome. And then five minutes into a match, he's gassed, he's sucking air, he's red. Red is a scary colour for an athlete to turn, a fighter to turn. He just looks like... He can't do it anymore. And then he does at the end, but he needs a breather midway through. So not only am I thinking, oh, you're not the badass that you used to be because I'm watching you, like, visibly suffer and struggle and not in the way that you're trying to convey a struggle. Just get his arms then. But then the (laughs) other person has to sell for him. It's like, Joe's uh, having a snooze again. (laughs) And it's just, I don't want to think about this about some more Joe. I just think that he should be in a tag team. Yeah, I, I admire that he's paying tribute to the Hart legacy by turning pink in every single match. Like, oh wow, great tournament run. He's had, but here, man, this was his best match in AEW for me so far. Like, I genuinely enjoyed this. Like, the it doesn't matter that he looks like Wilborn in the sun when he gives you ten cool minutes in the main event. <laughs> like, I, like, I thought this was earnestly good. Um, I enjoyed this from Kyle O'Reilly as well, who I don't think has been in amazing form in AEW so far. This felt the most Samoa Joe is in a fight. And not just because, like, you can, you know, he's looking tired or he's looking like at the tail end of his career. This really, really felt like this attritional battle, this tournament semi final where it's effectively for all the marbles because you're going to get on pay per view. It gave me hope for a match combination that otherwise I'm not that interested in. Smojo Adam Cole is not the hottest thing they could have arrived at for a tournament final. Get some PWG Cole vibes in this, which I'm looking forward to. Cole is going to take a really brutal beating to help this and the body of the match will be made I think will be made up of Adam Cole playing counter artist so Smojo will be trying to trap him in things will be trying to get him deck him and kill him and Cole will be countering out of it and that doesn't require Joe to go full tilt in the first five minutes so there's if you if you look at this match as the two wrestlers there's a you can sort of see how they can arrive at something quite nice over ten minutes in the tournament as long as they don't feel the need to get overindulgent and get silly I think it's it's quite nice, and then it's quite brutal. So those are both things that could, in combination, make for a decent tournament final. And you can have him going, set up for Panama Sunrise, and he hits a muscle buster because he's on the, in the right place for it. Yeah, why not? Doesn't have to go for it. I'm not like, getting that, that Or just heads up onto the post. Yeah, or just yeah. lands and Samojo. He goes to flip over Samojo, and Samojo just stays there and picks him up, and Samojo drops him or something. I Sm- think there's a really nice dynamic for that final. Samojo noping a lot of Adam Cole's histrionics is potentially great Yeah, like in general. Yeah. Like, he, he stands on the corner ready to do the uh, Panama Sunrise, and then Joe, like, puts his head up and just walks away. Yeah. Not tonight. You know, I, I think, I, the more I think about it, the more this chemistry might actually work. Yeah. It's just not on paper. It's not quite as attractive as a tournament final as you maybe would have liked. Not yeah. quite the go-home show we were anticipating then from, from AEW. Nah. Too many stars. <laughs> Article at whatculture.com very soon. But let us know your thoughts ahead of... Oh, I'm falling on the fallout from AEW Dynamite on Twitter at whatculturewwe. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at whatculturewwe. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, we'll be back later on today to look ahead to Double or Nothing. Um, and, of course, as I've mentioned before, myself and Michael Hamflit will be doing the live stream for Double or Nothing on Sunday night on our YouTube YouTube channel, so make sure you join us for that one and watch out for our interviews coming very soon with the likes of Ricky Starks, Jamie Hayer, and William 
regal. Uh, but for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.